Welcome to the London Walks podcast. This episode, London Museums, part two. Ladies and gentlemen, London Walkers, Daily Constitutionalists, welcome back to the London Walks podcast on London Museums. It's Adam here, out and about, all on my own for the moment. Andy's let me out on my own. It's a most disconcerting uh, sensation. I've just emerged from Euston Station onto the Euston Road. It's a perfect London day, by which I mean it's grey and overcast. I've emerged onto the Euston Road. Very busy, very noisy, lots of traffic. It reminds me greatly of... Oxford Street, same sensation there. Uh, Heavy with traffic and buses, sirens, uh, people rushing around. But similar to Oxford Street, there's respite just across the road. When we stand on Oxford Street, on the north side of Oxford Street, we know that the enclave of Soho uh, is just a few steps away. That square mile-sized hole in the middle of the West End, Soho, London's greatest four-letter word. Similarly, here on the Euston Road, uh, just over the way, through the sea of traffic, uh, I can get into Bloomsbury, and there I can spend the afternoon uh, raking around some of London's less celebrated museums. Okay, I made it across the road. I'm in Bloomsbury now, I'm sure you'll agree, in terms of background noise. A little more peaceful here. My destination this afternoon is to meet up with my much-missed colleague Andy, my podcasting pal, uh, and we're going to nose around the uh, John Soane Museum, uh, which I'm greatly looking forward to. Uh, In the meantime, I'm going to call in on the Grant Museum of Zoology and hopefully uh, the Petrie Museum of Egyptology, uh, both of which are on the way to my favourite museum of all in London, uh, the glorious Cartoon Museum. So that's the agenda uh, for today. And we'll see what else we can see along the way. Mallet Place in Bloomsbury. One of Bloomsbury's less celebrated thoroughfares. We're in an area where walking tours fear to tread. We can see air conditioning. We can see fire escapes. We can see... Uh, Tradesmen's entrances and delivery doors. We're in the middle of UCL, uh, University College London, and we're heading toward the Petrie Museum of Egyptian Archaeology. Uh, It's the afternoon, it's lunchtime, and the place is alive with students. Uh, The museum is just open to the public. It's closed in the morning, uh, this being a teaching museum, uh, but in the afternoon we're free to come and go as we please. Uh, So let's... Go and have a look now. Here it is, the UCL Petrie Museum. Okay, we're inside now. And as you can hear, I've abandoned my usual hectoring tones in favour of the voice I use when feeling hushed in the presence of culture. The Petrie Museum in Bloomsbury, named for William Flinders Petrie, Egyptologist and archaeologist, uh, died in 1942, uh, whose focus was on the detail, not on the great pyramids, not on the vast slabs of Egyptology, 
but on the detail of Egyptian life. And here, indeed, painted on the wall like a mission statement, an elevator pitch for the whole museum, Linders Petrie's quote, I believe the true line of research lies in the careful noting and comparison of the smallest details. One of my favourite objects in this museum, indeed, in any museum, anywhere, is the Tarkan dress, a piece of clothing found uh, in a tomb dating from around 2800 BC. It's a pleated dress, or a part of a pleated dress, the upper part, um, with pleating around the neck and on the sleeves, very detailed for its age uh, techniques that didn't really come into general use in the West until the 19th, 20th century. Uh, The oldest garment in existence in a collection anywhere in the world. It was excavated in 1913, uh, but it wasn't until 1977 when uh, the pile of linen from which it was extracted uh, was examined thoroughly uh, by the people at the V&A at the Textile Conservation Workshop there, uh, that it was discovered to be uh, a dress. A few years ago, the Petrie Museum was due to move to its very own premises uh, on the Euston Road or near the Euston Road, um, converted specially those premises uh, for the purpose of housing this wonderful collection. Um, For whatever reason, the plans uh, fell through uh, budgetary, I would imagine, in these very straitened times. Uh, which means that the Petrie is housed uh, in a higgledy-piggledy space, which I imagine uh, breaks all manner of rules regarding modern museum curation. Uh, Some things are up high, some things are down low, um, a few things are at eye level as well. Uh, And we have uh, some of the collection down the back stair, uh, heading towards the fire exit. Um, It adds, for me, to the eccentricity of the police... Um, A delicious, unorthodox feel to this marvellous teaching museum. Gower Street runs parallel to the Tottenham Court Road at the western extremity of Bloomsbury. I'm heading north here, and on my right-hand side, a blue plaque dedicated to Charles Darwin, naturalist, lived in a house on this site, um, a blue plaque on what is now the the Darwin Building, uh, the Darwin Building part of UCL. Um, It is one of my favourite London juxtapositions, given that Newman House is directly across the road, uh, flying the flag of the Vatican, uh, Newman House Catholic Centre, uh, directly opposite the plaque for Charles Darwin. A face-off, a standoff on Gower Street. We're heading to the Grant Museum. We mentioned Grant uh, in the previous episode of this podcast when we were at the uh, British Museum. We posed the question, who do man? And the answer was Grant de man. Uh, Grant being the professor at Edinburgh University uh, who taught the great Charles Darwin. Uh, so the Grant Museum of Zoology and Comparative Anatomy, also part of UCL, University College London, is to be our next port of call. 
it's not long after one o'clock and the Grant Museum has only just opened for the day to the general public and already it's a buzz. There are a great many people uh, perusing the collection in this most museum-y of museums. The cabinets are one of my favourite details about this little space. Uh, some of the cabinets date back to 1851 and were used indeed at the great exhibition of that year. Lots of things under glass to look at, lots of cabinets, and again I get the feeling that a number of rules of museum curation are being broken here. Um, and again, gloriously so, uh, modern museum curation would have uh, flashing screens and uh, multimedia displays. The grant is not without this aspect to its presentation. Uh, a number of iPads are spread around uh, the uh, space, but the bulk of the collection uh, is on display uh, under glass uh, with most illuminating uh, tickets and cards explaining the collection. As with the Petrie Museum, scale is very much an issue here, particularly in the context of the Blaschka glass models, uh, rare specimens made out of glass in the mid-19th century by the Blaschka family. The models are of shellless mollusks and other tiny creatures. The techniques using the materials available to the Blaschkas at the time uh, we've been unable to uh, recreate uh, the, the process uh, since the methodology uh, is lost to us, but these exquisite uh, tiny glass models uh, form one of the highlights of the Grant Museum's collection. So you're um, able to adopt uh, specimens here at the Grant as a wonderful fundraising um, initiative. Uh, you can become a friend of the museum and adopt a specimen, uh, a lovely uh, Christmas gift or indeed Valentine's gift. Uh, while we're on the topic of that, they do uh, a wonderful late night here uh, at the Grant Museum uh, once a year uh, to celebrate Valentine's Day. Uh, five pounds is the admission fee, no need to book. Uh, and a free glass of wine is included in your admission. The Grant Museum of Zoology. The sign says, engage with rare and beautiful specimens. Uh, and that's only the staff. Uh, a marvellous uh, London institution. At the moment, we're recording here in February 2015, uh, the quagga uh, has gone on holiday. The quagga. A subspecies of zebra hunted into extinction in the 19th century. Uh, only seven, I believe, uh, specimens, skeletons exist uh, in the world, and one of them is here at the Grant Museum of Zoology, or is usually here. Uh, it's currently off for restoration and uh, re-articulation uh, and a bit of a clean-up uh, as part of the Bone Idol. Uh, that's idol as in I-D-O-L. The Bone Idol uh, project where the Grant Museum are taking a number of their rarest uh, and most important specimens and having them uh, done up 
having them refurbished uh, and cleaned, uh, re-articulated and generally taken care of so that they can be used as teaching aids uh, for many, many years to come. Uh, the Grant Museum of Zoology can be found in Gower Street, WC1. And so I have arrived at the Cartoon Museum, pleasingly tucked away just in front of the British Museum here in Bloomsbury. Over at the Grant Museum, there was something there very personal to me that I am very fond of in museum curation. The sense that one is being taken back to one's childhood. Things under glass, wooden cases, a reverent atmosphere, the sensation that knowledge is just about to be imparted. It's a delicious sensation and a very personal one. Here at the Cartoon Museum, a similar Proustian sensation overwhelms me, particularly in the upstairs gallery with so many great examples of British cartoons from my childhood. I'm looking here at Roy of the Rovers. Uh, Roy of the Rovers, a very British superhero, I'm going to call him. Um, the star striker, the forward, the captain of Melchester Rovers. Um, in their distinctive red and yellow football strip. Uh, Roy Race, um, to give him his full name, uh, captained Melchester Rovers at least from the 1950s, uh, I think around 1953-54, in Tiger Comic, uh, eventually hanging up his boots in the 1990s as the star uh, of his own uh, comic, uh, Roy of the Rovers. Uh, so a 40-year career at football's highest level, uh, ups and downs, uh, trophies aplenty and medals galore, um, a very British superhero. He's on display here at the Cartoon Museum, very much uh, representative of uh, what we have here in the upstairs gallery. Examples from the Bunty, uh, Price Fourpence, it says there, from 1959, uh, a comic for girls. Um, here also we have the Bass Street Kids, uh, from uh, the Bino, um, rumbustious, uh, perhaps politically incorrect, uh, naughty, um, and entirely delicious, uh, badly behaved children constantly trying to put one over on uh, the teacher. Um, still going strong in the Bino of today. The downstairs gallery at the Cartoon Museum is always home uh, to the temporary exhibitions. Currently, uh, we have the work of Mark Boxer, uh, writer and uh, political cartoonist uh, for The Observer, particularly uh, in the 60s and 70s and the 1980s. Uh, a great retrospective of his work uh, featuring uh, car caricatures of uh, Alan Bennett, uh, David Frost, uh, Lech Wałęsa. Um, Robert Maxwell and so forth. Uh, the recent Hogarth exhibition took place in that space too. Uh, and the forthcoming um, Heckling Hitler uh, exhibition of Second World War cartoons uh, will also be housed in that space. But it's in the upstairs gallery here uh, that we find uh, British cartoons uh, and comics. Uh, this is the space um, that is of particular particular delight to me. 
the sensational paper for boys, exclamation mark, or screamer, as exclamation marks used to be known in Fleet Street. Number one, action comic from the 14th of February 1976. Um, controversial in its day for its um, shocking level of violence uh, and absolutely delicious uh, if you were a seven-year-old comic reader, um, as I was at the time. Uh, 7p for the copy uh, of action number one there, I'm sure. It would fetch somewhere north of 7p now on eBay. Uh, also in the upstairs space, there is um, a creative uh, classroom uh, where you can uh, book private parties and so forth uh, to learn how to uh, draw cartoons, so it's very much a practical, uh, hands-on space uh, for burgeoning cartoon artists. Uh, they also have a really rather wonderful thing. Uh, nice, comfortable chairs, a table, and a big stack of Beano comics uh, to read through, um, which is exactly how I'm going to spend the next, oh, at least 20 minutes, uh, while I kill time uh, waiting uh, to hook up with Andy. Remember, we're heading off to the John Soane uh, Museum, but what have we here? Uh, the Beano. Uh, crash. I've invented stairboarding, says Dennis the Menace. There he is, riding down uh, the stairs in the house on an ironing board and crashing through his front door. Uh, it's a wonderful intellectual reading for me. Dennis the Menace and Nasha. Uh, we'll speak to you again in just a short time. Entrance to the Cartoon Museum in Bloomsbury is £7. Uh, children go free. When you join us again, I'll be leaving you in the capable hands of Karen, who will be guiding you through her process of guiding at the British Museum. I'll be attempting, in part three, to hook up with Andy, my podcasting colleague. I say attempting because, as you will hear, when we reach the Sir John Soane Museum, disaster strikes. <laughs> Thanks for listening. The London Walks podcast was compiled, produced and presented by Andy Hallett and Adam Scott Goulding. For details of the full programme of London Walks, London's best guided walking tours, go to www.walks.com. The London Walks podcast was an APB production.